0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Tonight I want to just talk a little bit about, is your life building a monument or a memorial? Is your life building a monument or a memorial? You see, I believe that every single one of us, we're going to leave a memory. We're going to leave some kind of legacy. People are going to talk about you when you're gone. And my question tonight is, that might seem a long way off for some of you. That might seem a long way off. For me, it's not so very far away. But... Um, when you, when you sort of think about the end, the great thing about life is if you think about the end, you're able to plan now how to end. You're able to look at, well, how do I want to end? How do I want people to speak about me? What do I want them to say? How do I want to be remembered? And then start to build a life that works towards that goal. Start to live in such a way that the thing you want people to say about you is the thing they will say because that's how you lived your life. That's how you built your life. I'm so impressed with Charles Spurgeon. Most of you, uh, have you heard of Charles Spurgeon? I'll give you a little brief summary of who Charles Spurgeon is. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in London in the 1850s. He, was, uh, he came from a sort of semi-religious family. His uncle was a pastor. And as a teenager, he really struggled with trying to get to know God. But when he was about uh, 16, 17 years of age, he went to a little chapel in a town called Colchester. Uh, and I've been there. I visited it. It, it, was a, it was a winter's night. He was so cold. He thought, I'm freezing to death. What can I do? He thought, I'll go to church. That'll be warmer. So he slipped into this chapel into the back. The preacher didn't turn up that that night, so one of the elders climbed into the pulpit and started to preach. And while he was preaching, he looked at him at the back and he said, young man, do you know where you're going to go? Do you know the state of your soul before God? He got saved that night. Within a few years, he was preaching so so effectively, he applied for a job at a Baptist church in London. It was a Baptist church with 300 people. They interviewed him, they were so impressed with him, they gave him the job. He was 19 years of age. 19 years of age. By the time he was 23, within four years, he'd built a church in London of 5,000 people. By the time he was 23. If you read his life story, it's fascinating because it was a Baptist church, but every week he used to move in words of knowledge. He used to break off halfway through through his sermon, and he'd say, there's a young man at the back, and you sold a pair of shoes for 12 and sixpence on Saturday. You sold your soul for 12 and six. And he would have words of knowledge. He would just break off. People didn't understand it in those days, and they didn't know what to call it. But he was highly charismatic. He moved in the spirit. By the time he was around about 28 years of age, he had a church of 15,000. This is when London only had a a population of about a million people. The prime minister used to go to his church. People in the press, they used to publish his sermons every week when he was alive. A reporter came to him one day and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I find you a very arrogant man. He looked at the uh, journalist. He said, if you'd had as, as much success as I've had by my age, you'd be amazed that I'm not more arrogant than I am. <laughs> when Charles Spurgeon died, in his, he really didn't live that long. He, 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 yeah, he got a number of uh, illnesses and conditions. He smoked till the day he died. There's actually a cigar named after him. Somebody came to his church and preached against smoking. And at the end, he got up and said, I'll have you know, sir, I smoke to the glory of God. <laughs> He had a few things. But when he died, here was his legacy. For 40 years after his death, they printed his sermons every week in the most popular newspaper, the Sunday Times, in London, and in New York. The two greatest cities in the 1800s for 40 years. Now, in the Bible, 40 years is a generation. So in other words, after he died, his legacy was that his messages influenced another generation. Isn't that astonishing? I'm so impressed with Charles Spurgeon, I tell you. He's been an amazing inspiration to me. And he's just somebody who preached the word of God. He started uh, a Bible college for pastors uh, and taught pastors and, and planted churches all over the world. You have a Baptist church in Auckland Uh, that was planted i i'm not sure if it was him or it was his son but anyway it's there in auckland you can see it at the top of queen street an amazing man but he left a legacy and every single one of us is going to leave a memory in the minds and hearts of people what do you want to leave what what do you want them to say about you and what decisions will you make now in order to ensure that that becomes the memory that you leave You see, I believe that in the Bible, you've got two kinds of things that are going on. People who leave memorials and people who leave monuments. You know, when Joshua was going through uh, entering into the promised land in in the book of Joshua in chapter 4... There's the story about how they crossed over the, the, the Jordan in dry water. The, the, the waters separated and they went over. And then in chapter 4, Joshua gives instructions to all the elders of Israel. He says, I want you to go back and I want you to pick a huge stone. And I want you to carry that stone onto this side of the Jordan. All 12 of you, one from each tribe. And then I want you to set up a memorial. Set up those stones here on this side of the Jordan and it says this in, in uh, Joshua chapter 4 right about verse 5 6 it said it says this um, uh, this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come what do these stones mean Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. According to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over With them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the covenant stood, and they're there to this day. In other words, he set up two memorials one that you could see and one you couldn't see, but the enemy saw it. Isn't it amazing that you can create a memorial both to principalities and powers? And you can create a memorial to people that lives on after you. You see, the whole point of a memorial, let me give you a definition of a memorial. A memorial is this. It's erected by communities to preserve the memory of a person or event in which something significant happened. And I believe that God calls us with our lives to build a memorial. We're meant to do something that is a testimony together of what God has done in our midst and the the challenge is that if you're not building a memorial then you're probably building a monument I'll come to that in a little bit but I believe that God has called us to build memorials you know when Jesus uh, initiated the last supper he said I want you to do this in remembrance of me it was a memorial we call communion a memorial it's a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a reminder of salvation. It's a reminder of grace. It's a reminder that forgiveness is free in Jesus Christ. It's a memorial. Do you remember when Cornelius, he had a dream and an angel came to him in the dream and here's what the angel said to him. It's an astonishing statement considering that Cornelius is a Roman soldier and he's not saved. And this angel comes to him and he says, God has heard your prayers and your almsgiving they've come up to heaven as a memorial before God. Isn't that amazing? You see, sometimes we think of salvation in terms of saved, lost. But God is not so much interested in those kinds of definitions. God is interested in what is the direction of your life. You see, if the kingdom of God is over here and you're a believer, but you're a believer in rebellion, you're moving away from the kingdom. The kingdom is behind you. You're moving away. You're choosing your own way. You're choosing your own thing. But if you're unsaved and you're being drawn towards the kingdom like Cornelius was, God is listening to his prayers. God is looking at his arms giving to the poor. And he's saying, this man's heart is after me. He's moving towards the kingdom. Let me ask you this question. Is God more excited about a believer in rebellion moving away or more excited about an unbeliever moving towards? Hello? I'm so fed up with Christians who just keep telling you, yeah, well, I'm saved, I'm saved, big deal. Big deal. What are you doing with your salvation? What are you doing with your life? What kind of memorial are you going to leave? What are people going to say about you? Are they going to say, yeah, he sat in the pew every week? Is that it? Come on. You being here tonight is in order to be equipped, to be challenged. You know, people often say to me, what's your church all about? And I say, the clue's in the name. We're about training people, developing people, releasing people. I love it, you know. I love spending time with Sam Monk because he and I dream a lot. We dream a lot. He'll ring me sometimes and he goes, oh, Hey, something's going on here. He goes, I can throw $20,000 in it. Can you? If we, do, if we put $40,000 in together, we can do this. And I'll say, Oh, Sam, you're challenging me again. And he goes, oh, I said, Give me 24 hours. I'll go and talk with my team. And I say, Hey, Sam's throwing this at me. You know, if we, if we throw $20,000 at Rome and they throw $20,000, we're going to be able to buy a building. They're going to be able to have a thing. It's going to be great. What do you think? You know, my team, they're all scared. And they go, oh, yeah, we're scared. It must be God. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not scared, it probably isn't God. If you're scared, God's probably in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I said, yes, yeah, Sam, let's do that. We were scheming last week in Queenstown. We were there for four days with some of the other leaders just dreaming. You know, in the next year, we're going to plant a church in Hamburg. We're going to plant a church in Munich. Two more churches. We're planning to plant a church in Florence. I mean, you know, we're going to get a lot of volunteers to go to Florence, Italy. We want to plant a church there. We want to plant a church in Naples. We just got people lined up for it. But you know, it's just going to take a little bit of time to get things into place. But we're just dreaming. Why? Because we want to leave a legacy. We want to leave a testimony. We, we want people to say about Equippers Churches wow, those guys took risks. Wow, they, they went out on the edge. Wow, they, they did things that, that just were crazy, but boy, what a legacy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because every movement, when it's young and when it's in its infancy, you know, it takes risks, and God has called us to do that. And people who build memorials, they take risks, they take chances. And when we do that, I believe God looks down and I th- he sees faith, he sees the risk, and I think he's pleased. I want to encourage you, live your life in such a way where you, you don't just play it safe all the time, but you dare to get involved. You dare to serve in an area, you dare to step out into a place that perhaps at the beginning is a little bit uncomfortable. But in process of time, you know, every time that, you know, I'm speaking to you as a guy who's 62 years of age, who's been in ministry for 40 years. Every time I think this, this is it, I, you know, I'm just comfortable now. It's good. God ruffles the nest. He just does something to, to, you know, I get an invitation from New Zealand. Can you come here? Uh, well how long for? I don't know, a month or two or three. And I said, yeah, okay, I can do that. How about Six. It's like, you don't stop. Shut up. (laughs) Oh, be muzzled. (laughs) Come on, What, what, what what kind of legacy are we leaving? Are we building a memorial? You see, Joshua, this amazing event, he didn't want the people to forget it. Now, everybody who went through that experience, they won't forget it, but what about the generation to come? So Joshua sets up this memorial because he knew that there were going to be children who came along to the Jordan River and there's going to be a massive pile of 12 huge stones. And the kids are going to say, what the heck is that all about? I'm so glad you are. Sit down. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about your history, about your legacy. See, every time we have communion, that's what we're doing. We're telling a story about what Jesus did for us. And you've got to build memorials in your life. You've got to build those, those times and those moments. You have to remember them. They, they have to become landmark moments in your life. I remember that time when I surrendered my life to God in a little mini car outside a Bible study filled with crazy people who freaked me out. But I remember surrendering my life to God. I remember getting filled with the presence of God. I remember laughing for a week and not being able to wipe the smile off my face. I remember the little old lady who prayed for me to speak in tongues. Off you go. I remember her, you know, from head to toe, Lord, fill him up. You know, I just remember that moment. It was a memorial. I remember the time when I met John Wimber and just what an impact it was meeting that man. I remember sharing a stage with him where he said to me, I'd like you to share your testimony of what God did. You know, I'm on a stage with 2,000 leaders sitting next to John Wimber. I think, what the heck am I doing here? I remember hearing a preacher in Copenhagen who was laughed to scorn by all the leaders there. I felt so sorry for him. I said, can we have coffee together afterwards? He said, sure. And we went and had coffee together. And I didn't realise I was having coffee with Rick Joyner. Back in 1990, when nobody knew him. He said, I've just written my first book. Would you like a copy? I said, yeah, I would. I should have got him to sign it, shouldn't I? You just never know what God's going to do. But these become like memorials. They become moments in your life they are significant. And you can talk to the next generation about it. You see, this land that we've been donated... You know, I'm so looking forward to when we build on there. You know why? Because in the generations to come, your, your little kids that are dancing down the front here in 20 years' time, they're going to talk about you. They're going to talk about the sacrifice you made. They're going to talk about the faith that you had. They're gonna, you're going to be able to tell them, we went through a really difficult time, but you know what? We kept our eyes on Jesus. We didn't, we didn't decide to build a monument to ourselves. We decided to build a memorial for God. And that's a testament... To God's greatness in our midst. You know, what, you know what kids get enthralled at? You know, kids love stories. God understands that. Why, what happened when they, they went out of Egypt? God established the Passover meal. What's it there for? It's a memorial. When your kids ask, why do we have this lamb? Why do we have the bitter herbs? Why do we do this? You're to tell them. We were slaves in the land of Egypt. But God redeemed us with an outstretched arm and with a strong hand to tell them the story you can only tell the story if there's something to look at, a memorial that people can point to now there's a lot of people who are building monuments monuments are erected by insecure leaders to preserve their memories in the minds of people they rule over there's loads of monuments, have you noticed all the monuments built to Lenin and Stalin are no longer there they're no longer there In 1924, and the Russian Revolution was 1917, in 1924, they changed St. Petersburg to Leningrad. But then in 1991, it got changed back again. Because that man did not leave a legacy people wanted to remember. He was building a monument and not building a memorial. So many of those people who were building monuments to themselves, they no longer exist. The only two people who built monuments to themselves were Saul and Absalom. It's interesting in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it's the chapter where Saul disobeys God by not killing all the Amalekites, preserving the best of the sheep and the oxen. Instead of killing everything and obeying God, he kept the best. Here's the thing about the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It has the same root. It's easy to say no to that which is evil It is very hard to say no to that which is good but has the same root as that which is evil. This is why in Hebrews chapter 5, people who grow to maturity learn how to discern good and evil. They learn to discern the evil that masquerades as good. Do you get that? God spoke to Samuel and Samuel had to come and find Saul because he wanted to confront him. And in 1 Samuel 15, round about verse 11, it says, early the next morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. The, pe- the, pe- the people told Samuel, Saul has gone to Carmel, where he's put up a mon- monument in his own honour. Doesn't that say it all? He's put up a monument in his own honour. Can you imagine that? We're going to have an offering today because I want to build a monument to myself. Everything I've done for you here in New Zealand just want you to give to this. I want you to look at the sacrifice I made and I want you to sow into this because I really did something for you. And it's like, what? What? You know, if that's, in your th- if that's how you think, you're building a monument. You're building a monument. You don't do stuff for other people ultimately. You do serve other people, but first you're serving God, which is why you serve other people. You're a servant of God. We build memorials to God. We don't build monuments to ourselves. But that's what Saul did. He built a monument to his own honour. Now he's gone down to Gilgal. So Samuel has to go chasing him. Instead of him getting on with the business of God, he's getting on with building a monument. It's really sad. And then when he finally confronts Saul, Saul thinks he's obeyed God. And then uh, he finally admits, he says, I've sinned in, in in chapter 15, verse 24. I have sinned. I didn't obey the Lord's command and your words. And listen to this. I was afraid of the people and I did what they said. People who live in fear rather than leading out of courage, when they live in fear, they end up building monuments to themselves because they don't believe that those people will ever build a memorial to them. Samuel said to Saul "Uh, I uh, 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 sorry let me finish that I did what they said now I beg you forgive my sin come back with me so I may worship the Lord Samuel said to Saul I won't go back with you you rejected the Lord's command now he rejects you as he turned to leave Saul caught his robe and it tore Samuel said to him the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and he's given it to one of your neighbors who's better than you the Lord is the eternal one of Israel. He does not lie or change his mind. He's not a human being. so He does, he does not change his mind. Saul answered, I have sinned. Now listen to this. But please honour me in front of the elders of my people and in front of the Israelites. Come back with me so that I can worship the Lord your God. In other words, Saul is more concerned how he looks in front of the people than how he looks in front of God. Come and honour me in front of the people. Come and stand with me. It'll be embarrassing. I want, you, I want you to validate me. I need your affirmation. I need you to do something that shows them I'm still there. And this is all in the midst of Saul. Samuel saying to Saul, you've been rejected, man. You've blown it. You've thrown away an amazing opportunity. And all you're left with is the monument you've built to yourself. Whereas if he had obeyed God, he'd have built a memorial. You see, instead of talking about Saul who failed, we today would be talking about the greatest mentor David ever had. But we're not doing that. He built a monument to himself. It says this in 2 Samuel 18.18, when Absalom was alive, he set up a pillar for himself in the King's Valley. He said, I have no son to keep my name alive. So he named the pillar after himself. And it was called Absalom's monument even today. Wow. You can see where his focus was. You see, people who've got big egos, like Absalom and Saul, they they never had a crucified life within. They never dealt with the, the ego. It always was an ego that was controlled by fear, controlled by other people's opinions. And Absalom was an incredibly good-looking guy, but he was incredibly vain as well. The Bible says every year he had a ritual, he'd have his hair cut and weighed. And they'd weigh it against the amount of gold that it weighed. And every year he'd let his hair grow long, and then once a year he'd cut his hair. And he was just one of these really vain types of guys. And then he was jealous. uh uh, of uh of david and and it says the bible says he stole the hearts of the men of israel you know how he stole their hearts he flattered them he flattered them he says he stood at the gate when people came for judgment the king was busy he said oh he says your complaint is just and right but the king's too busy to hear you tell it to me and he let them kiss his, his ring, and he, he stole their hearts. And you know, you know how somebody steals the hearts of people in a church? They just criticize the leadership subtly. The king's too busy to see you, but I can see you. That's how you steal people's hearts. You subtly undermine the leadership. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't bother him. He's busy, but you can see me. You know, how do you build a great leadership team? You cover one another and say, well, he might be too busy to see you, but I, I know his heart is to see you. I can help you get to see him, or I can see you now. That's a different way of saying it, isn't it? You see, we cover the leadership. We, we support the leadership. We serve into the leadership, not Absalom. He stole the hearts of the leadership. When his brother uh, slept with his sister Tamar, there was sort of, when I say brother, they were all half-brothers. David had seven wives, so you know same father different mothers but Absalom had a sister Tamar and one of his brothers basically raped her you know the Bible says he waited planned for two years the Bible said he said nothing good or bad to his brother he waited two years and then he had him murdered that tells you something about the guy on the inside he lived with resentment and unforgiveness but when you looked at him, he was so good looking. He looked like the right kind of guy. He looked like a future king. Everybody thought, this is a guy you can follow. But he wasn't. He was building a monument to himself. And so here's my challenge for us tonight, just for us to think about. Hey, have we got crucified egos? You can tell when your, your ego is crucified, it's easy to forgive people. It was hard to forgive people and you just go on with resentment year after year after year. Your ego is not crucified. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You know, what? I've met Christians who've been Christians for 20 years, but they're like a one-year-old Christian. And all they've done is go around the mountain for 20 years as a one-year-old Christian. They've never matured, they've never advanced. Just because you've been a Christian for 20 years doesn't mean you're mature. Maturity is not about how old you are. Maturity is about how willing you are to step forward in the grace of God and obey Jesus and obey the New Testament and live according to the commands of the New Testament. We're commanded to forgive. We're commanded not to live with resentment. We're commanded to be angry, but not to sin. Do you get it? So you're allowed to be disappointed. You are. I get disappointed. But listen, I don't live in despair. I never cross that line. I never go from disappointment to despair. I'm not going there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge my disappointment and get healing for my disappointment. Do you get it? I mean, you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to want to punch a pillow, kick the cat or whatever. Yeah, for all the vets in the house, sorry, apologies. Don't do that. you know what I mean? You're allowed to get angry, but what you're not allowed to do is step over the line and get full of wrath so that you now hit people and you lash out. You're not allowed to do that. That's not healthy. That's crossing a line. Do you get it? God acknowledges every single emotion that we have. Emotions are not a negative thing until you allow emotion to suddenly control you and you let that emotion define you. So that you become the angry man or the angry woman or the resentful person or the depressed person. Don't let those emotions define who you are, even though you may experience them from time to time. Be mature. Don't just have one year's worth of Christianity repeated over and over again for the next 20 years. Become a mature believer. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, I wanted to speak to you as to mature people, but you were babes in Christ. I had to feed you with milk instead of strong meat. The writer of the Hebrews says the same thing. By this time you ought to be teachers, but you need somebody else to teach you again the first principles of God. Come on, it's a time to grow up. It's the time to look at where we want to be and say, I'm going to take steps towards that legacy. I'm going to build a memorial with my life. I'm going to build something where people look at me, they look at what I did and say, I want to do that with my life. Do you get it? We get that choice now. We get that choice now. Do you know what? Sometimes I think that means you need to change the friends you hang out with. Listen when I was 18 I had a friend of mine and uh, he was wild his name was Ian he was absolutely wild and one of the reasons that I liked hanging around with him was because I was a bit wild so this guy one particular day we were in a, a little Morris Minor car how many of you know Morris Minor is a small car so we're in a Morris Minor car, and we're driving between Hampton and Hampton Court. Hampton Court's a very famous place. It's where Henry VIII lived, Hampton Court Palace. Six wives of Henry VIII? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So I, li- I grew up in Hampton. It's a one-mile road from Hampton to Hampton Court Palace. It's a one-mile-long road, and it's a great stretch of road if you want to get to 100 miles an hour on a motorbike. It's, you know, it was just one of those roads. It was good to do it on back in the day. We didn't have speed traps in my day. We had policemen who chased you. Much more fun. (laughs) So so I was with Ian, with two other guys in this Morris Minor. And this crazy guy said, why don't we drive to Hampton Court on the pavement? And he, he put the wheel over and we mounted the pavement. And we're driving along the pavement. It's like 10 o'clock at night and we're all in there. We're all laughing. It's insane. It's completely insane. And if you've seen pavements or sidewalks in Britain, they're not big. You know, if we'd have had a bigger car, we never would have been able to do it. And it's like we drove all the way on the pavement till we got, and then we we finally got to to Hampton Court. There's a roundabout there. He said, let's go round the wrong way. It's 10 o'clock at night, so we're driving round the roundabout the wrong way. It's insane. (laughs) And I realised after that night, this guy is not helping me. One day, I'm going to be dead or arrested, or both. I don't know which order. And I remember making a decision. I'm not going to let this guy's nonsense and wildness ruin my life. And I, I withdrew from that friendship. I withdrew from I just became unavailable. You know? And, and sometimes in life, there are people who are influencing you, but they're not influencing you for good. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, it says evil companionships or the wrong kind of friends corrupt good spiritual habits. So choose your friends wisely. Who is helping you build a memorial? Or maybe you're helping them build a monument. Choose your friends wisely. Listen, I'm all for reaching out to unbelievers. I I believe in an invitational culture. But if you're reaching out to unbelievers, just make sure you're influencing them. You know, and I say, yeah, yeah, I'm just going out with my friends. They're all unbelievers, going to tell them about Jesus down the disco, down the club, after a few drinks. You know, yeah, you're half cut and you're talking about Jesus. That's great. (laughs) You can't do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's just mixing stuff. You're all doing that in the. You're doing that in the name of trying to reach out to them. No, be different. You know what I love about Jesus is he went to parties, but he never got drunk. He went to parties and he was different. He was set apart. That's what being holy means. You know, we sort of think of holiness in terms of moral purity, but holiness is not really about that. Holiness is being set apart for a special purpose. When the Bible says God is holy, it means he's altogether different and set apart from us. Now, he is moral, he is pure, but that's not really what holiness is all about. Holiness is all about being set apart for a special use. That's why instruments could become holy in the Old Testament. They carry no moral code within them. But they're set apart for a special purpose. So so you use it for that. I remember when I bought my son a guitar at the age of 14. I said, this is holy to you for your ministry. Set apart. Careful what you play on it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh dear. We can either build a monument to ourselves out of our insecurity, out of our lack of maturity, out of the need to leave something because we all want to do that. But monuments never last, they get pulled down eventually. But memorials, they stand. I used to live in the oldest recorded town in Britain, Colchester. So when the Romans invaded Britain in AD 70 uh, or 68, they, they, they did that, around about the time Jerusalem was being destroyed, they did that through Colchester. There's a lot of stories around about the way it happened. And many, one of the stories is that the, thief, the, um, the soldier who was at the cross of Jesus, the Roman soldier, ended up in Britain and brought the gospel to Britain. That's one of the stories. But if you go to Colchester today, they were excavating because they were building a brand new police station. While they were excavating, they found the foundation of a building. And they got all the archaeologists in and all the experts in. And they realized it was the first church that was ever built in Britain. AD 70. The foundations of the first church ever built in Britain. You can go and see it today. I've been there. I've walked around it i touched the stones. I think, to, I think to myself, whenever I'm there, I'm standing near those stones. I think to myself, wow. There were a group of early Christians who in the very first century, when Paul was still alive, were here worshiping Jesus. I just think it, it's a memorial. It's absolutely Amazing. And and I want to live life in such a way, and I want to do church in in such a way that we leave a memorial. We leave a memory. We leave something that people look to and say, wow, who did did that, and what's that all about? And we're old enough to say to a younger generation, sit down and let me tell you that story of the great things that God did for us. Can we say amen to that? Let's have the keyboard player up. Stand to your feet. There have been lots of men in history who built monuments to themselves. Hitler wanted to build a Third Reich. Loads of buildings in Germany he built, thinking he was building a kingdom that would last a thousand years. What a counterfeit kingdom. Napoleon did the same thing. Built monuments everywhere to himself. There were loads of people with big egos, wanting to leave Legacies. But now we look back in history and we see them as dictators, self-serving, not serving their generation, not serving their nation, but serving themselves and their own agendas. And in the kingdom of God, we're called to serve our King. And we build memorials to His honor. And we do it together. We do it together. I love it that in the early church, They just did stuff together all the time. And they built memorials to Jesus. They were able to look at those things today and say, yeah, that was done in Jesus' name. So if you're here tonight, all I want you to do is just, in your heart, I want you to make a decision. Tonight, I'm not going to stay immature. I'm not going to experience year one of Christianity over and over and over again. Tonight I'm going to make a decision to take a new step towards my destiny, to take a new step towards the legacy that I want to leave. Tonight I'm going to make a decision to build towards a memorial rather than building towards a monument. And if it means making a shift with friendships or making a shift with priorities or making a shift somehow in your life, my encouragement to you is make the shift. You've got nothing to lose other than that which is holding you back. And you've got everything to gain because we serve a God who says this, if you honour me, I will honour you. God rewards those. The Bible says it. Without faith it's impossible to please God. Because those who come to Him must believe that He is. And that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God is a rewarder of those who step out in faith. He's a rewarder of those who are seeking after His kingdom. Not seeking after their own monument. Tonight I'm exhorting you. Come on, make a decision make it on the inside let let this day be a day you remember for a long long time, that was the moment in that meeting God did something in my heart he did something in my life something was stamped upon me that I couldn't shake off and I knew my life was going to be different from that day forward let that be your testimony tonight if it needs to be don't walk out of this place the same as when you walked in don't repeat the same year over and over again doing the same stuff. Your Christianity will be boring if you, if you choose that path. Your Christianity will be so unexciting. You'll be looking for other things to bring excitement in your life. But I'm telling you, you obey God and you will always be filled with excitement. Because God will always challenge you to take a new step of faith. It's always going to require a stretch. It's always going to require you to, to go to a new place. David got in trouble in his life when he stopped obeying God, and instead of going to war, he stayed in his palace, and he looked for some—he looked for some adventure, but he found it in the wrong place. Come on, let's not do that. Let's find our adventures in God, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray for every person in this room. I thank you for the callings, the destinies. I thank you for the different things that people are carrying, gifts. Things that you have purposed, God, that will unfold in the future. And my heart prayer for every person in this room is that they will be positioned in the right way in their heart, on the inside, so that you can do what you want to do, God. For everyone who needs to take a new step in their life, Father, needs to come to a new place, would you just grace them? Grace them from above, that they can take that step in faith. That their life is just not marked by boring repetition. But their life, life becomes marked by new challenges, new steps of faith. God, I thank you for people like Charles Spurgeon. I thank you for people like George Muller. I thank you for people who left real legacies. Who lived for you, God. I thank you for the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. Men like Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter rather choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches he saw something in his spirit and he went after it father my prayer is that you would open the hearts and minds of people here and that revelation would flood in and that they would see something that is bigger and better than what the enemy has put on the table I pray God that there would be grace tonight that you have. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.